Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. I'm not going to do my usual spiel that I say at the beginning of most episodes. I'm going to be talking a bit about something a bit more personal, and it relates to my puppy, Boris. Over the past month, I've noticed that his breathing has become a bit different. It's raspy, he's a bit out of breath more, and he tends to hack up his food a bit more while eating. So I took him to the vet and I found that he has a uh, condition called laryngeal paralysis, which is the first stage of a neurological disease that's similar to ALS in humans. But thankfully, that's slow moving and it's not really a concern until well down the road. But what is a concern now is the paralysis. And this is caused when abductor muscles in the larynx are not working properly and they're not expanding and opening for a deep breath. And so it's not a horrible condition initially, but it does mean that generally he would have one to three years left. Um, or in some cases, in more extreme cases, dogs only have a few months. So I'm looking to raise some money for his surgery. Uh, it costs $5,000, which is not cheap and well beyond what I can afford. So I've organized a GoFundMe. You don't have to, to donate. If you can even just share it, I would appreciate it. I just would like to get a few extra years with my dog. So if uh, you want to donate, I will have the GoFundMe in my show notes. I would also like to say thank you to Bob, and I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, Heslip. You made a big donation to the podcast, and I really appreciate it. And all donations and all Patreon support until September is going to get my dog his surgery. So... I really appreciate all of it, and thank you so much. Little known today, Nani Bawikwe was an Indigenous activist who spent her life fighting for land rights for the Indigenous before Canada was even a country. Born in 1824 at Credit River Flats, Upper Canada, she was given the name of Nani Bawikwe because an Ojibwe elder dreamed the name before her birth. Through this episode, I will refer to her as Nani, which was what her friends called her. Her maternal grandfather was Otisu, a war chief from the Otter clan who fought for the British during the American Revolutionary War. Throughout her childhood, she was taught Ojibwe customs and traditional ways of life, and she would help her mother with herbal medicine and remedies. Nani's father, Bunch Sunagu, 
was an early convert to Christianity at Credit River and was a member of Eagle Clan, which was the largest clan of the Credit Mission Mississauga. Her mother was Mary Crane of the Otter Totem. The couple would convert to Christianity shortly after the birth of Nani. The government then built 20 houses for the settlement at Credit River, which was paid for by funds given to the tribe after they ceded lands along the shores of Lake Ontario. When Nani was born, she had several siblings, but they would all pass away due to disease, except for one who drowned. Her only surviving sibling, Mary, was born when Nani was 18 years old. Due to the death of so many children, Nani's father would fall into alcoholism and become disenchanted with Christianity. His wife would continue to remain devout and would become a rock for her family. Nani would attend Methodist school until 1837, and it was there she was given the name of Catherine Brown, which was the name of one of the first converts to Christianity among the Cherokee. Her education at the mission school was similar to what residential schools would practice, with the focus on assimilation and the removing of the culture of the indigenous. Nani would become close with her uncle Peter Jones, who was the first Methodist minister among the Ojibwe. Peter and his wife Eliza would not have children, and Nani became a surrogate child for the couple. When she was 13, Nani journeyed to England with her aunt and uncle on a missionary trip. They would spend a year in England, where Peter spent his time carrying out fundraising work. He would also file a petition with the British Crown to have the credit mission lands legally transferred to the mission. He would even meet with Queen Victoria in September 1838 over the matter, but the petition failed. Nani would come home before her aunt and uncle because she did not like the weather in England. The trip, though, would have a major impact on her as it sparked her belief in Indigenous activism. Upon returning to Upper Canada, Nani married William Sutton, an English shoemaker and friend of Peter Jones. He was not Indigenous, but he had a strong belief in the welfare of the Indigenous and he would be supportive of Nani throughout her activism. Together, the couple had eight children together. At the age of 20, Nani became the leader of the Methodist teaching at Credit Mission, and she would lead a group of women in weekly prayer and Christian guidance. Since Credit Mission had not been able to get its title to its land, the mission was moved and Nani and her family moved in the winter of 1846 to the Owen Sound area, where they built a home and farm on the land given to them by the Nawash indigenous. The move away from the land that her people had lived on for generations was not easy, but it was her hope that the new land would benefit future generations. In 1848, Nani became ill and she found the isolation of her life in her new home was simply too much to handle. After a harsh winter, the family would move in 1851 after Nani and her family were asked to support the Methodist mission near Sault Ste. Marie. She would move with her family to the village of Nawash in 1852 near present-day Sault Ste. Marie. The family would only live in the area for a short time due to William being unable to find reliable employment. Two years later, they once again moved. In 1857, Nani and her family moved back to the Owen Sound area, and it was there they found that the land that they had bought previously from the local indigenous was in the process of being sold to the federal government after band members signed a treaty to surrender the indigenous title to the land. As a result, Nani no longer had rights to the land that they had once called home, which was now being divided into town lots and put up for sale by the government. Superintendent of Indian Affairs, Richard Pennefather, would say, quote, The chiefs, having no power to dispose to private parties of land belonging to the tribe, could not give title, and the Sutton's written grant was therefore worthless. 
End quote. The federal government did offer to sell land parcels to Nani's family at a reduced price, but they then went back on that promise and withheld the certifications of sale, stating they were minors under the law and did not have the right to buy the land from the government. At the time, Nani was well into her 30s. The Indian Department then offered to bargain with Nani and her husband by offering to suspend the repossession of their farm if she paid a reduced rate to purchase it and agreed that the 200 acres of land granted to her by the Nawash was illegal. Nani refused this offer. At this point, the Indian Department said that Nani was not legally indigenous, nor were her children, because she married a white man. A gifted writer, Nani, wrote to the government, stating, quote, The department has made this excuse for robbing me and my children of our birthright, which I inherited from my forefathers before the white man ever set foot on our shores. End quote. Nani then decided to take her case to the British Crown. Her community would appoint Nani as the envoy to represent them to the British Crown, and in 1859, she journeyed to England. Her trip was reported on in newspapers heavily, and she would find kindred spirits with the Quakers of New York State, whom she met while crossing the Atlantic. They would offer her both moral and financial support. On March 30, 1861, she would write a letter to the Friends Intelligencer. It's a longer quote, but I feel it shows her passion and skill as a writer. She states, quote, It is only me and my family that are cast away from our own people. I have always heard Canada was a free country, but it is only for some, but not for the Aborigines of America. If the Indian Department and Government do not consider the Indians of my country to be goods and chattel, why not allow them to purchase? And still they say Canada is a free country. I am an Indian, the blood of my forefathers runs in my veins, and I am not ashamed to own it, for my people were a noble race before the Pale Faces came to possess their lands and home. End quote. The trip also happened while she was heavily pregnant with her seventh child, who was born in England. On June 19, 1860, Nani met Queen Victoria, hoping to clarify the dignified nature of her people and stating that she would have right to legally own the land and observe their cultural customs. Queen Victoria would write in her diary, quote, She is of yellow color of the American Indians, with black hair, and was dressed in strange European dress with a colored shawl and straw hat with feathers. She speaks English quite well, and has come on behalf of her tribe to petition against some grievances as regards to their land. End quote. There was doubt in Canada whether Nani actually had an audience with the Queen. It would not be until 100 years later, in 1960, that proof was shown in the published diary of Queen Victoria. James Croft, who at the time was writing a history of Owen Sound, wrote to England to see if proof of the interview existed. James Croft, who at the time was writing a history of Owen Sound, wrote to England to see if proof of the meeting existed. The reply he received confirmed that she had met with the Queen. He also added that the visit of Prince Albert to the Georgian Bay soon after was not related to the petition brought forward by Nani. On July 4, 1860, the London Times wrote, quote, The memorial which Mrs. Sutton presented to the Duke of Newcastle clearly illustrates her case and shows that according to the existing laws, the lands of the Indians are held by tribal and not by individual tenure, so that if the chiefs and a few of the people can be gained over by whatever means, the whole of the lands reserved as a home for the tribe may be taken even under from under the feet of those who do not consent. End quote. The meeting would be somewhat successful. Nani and her husband were able to buy back their land, 
but other indigenous who wanted to buy back land did not receive the same benefit. As well, Nani was not allowed to buy the land. Only her husband could do that. Even with her land, she continued to be an indigenous activist and would advise other indigenous bands on their political rights. She would also create documentation for them so they could file grievances with the government. In 1864, Nani gave birth to her last child and her health began to decline. In September 1865, she passed away after an asthma attack. She was only 41 and she would be buried on her property in the garden she spent so much time in. Charles Julian, a neighbor of Nani, wrote in 1871, quote, I truly affirm that she was one of the really sincere Christians I have ever been privileged to meet in the course of my life. As the custom here is I, in common with my neighbors, attended the funeral, and at her own request was interned on her own garden, end quote. William would continue to live on the farm for several decades, and he would never marry again. In 1998, Nani came back into the national consciousness when there were plans by a Toronto businessman to develop the area where she was buried into upscale homes, a golf course, marina, and tennis courts. Developers stated that they would preserve the gravesite and provide public access to it as previous landowners had done. In 2009, a new memorial site was built around her grave, which had been in disrepair for several years. And in July 2021, Nani was recognized as a person of national historic significance. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Nani Bawikwe. If you did, please leave a rating and review. Next week, we have my favorite kind of episode, a nostalgia episode, and we're looking at Hockey Night in Canada. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Sarah White, Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Pringnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard T., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Biography, Heritage Mississauga, Wikipedia, Manitoulin, Grey Roots, Owen Sun Times, and the National Post. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.